This is KDXI St. George, Radio St. George at 100.3 FM. And now it's time for My Life, a radio show about your life. Now, your host for My Life, the publisher of The Senior Saver, Kevin Fry. Okay, man, we just made it. Okay, we're, we're I try to get this uh, show out there on some podcast platforms as well as Facebook Live, and then we go out live on the air too. So uh, yeah, a little program we call My Life, and I got a special guest in the in the studio today. His name is Brent Dean, and Brent and I have known each other for a little while. We've uh, you know we've been around town. We've uh, We've done our thing. A couple of single guys out there trying to make our way in the world. <laughs> so I'll give you a little history about how I met Brent. All right. So I go to karaoke. I used to do karaoke shows in San Diego. This show used to be called Karaoke Brothers. I had a friend of mine, Tyler, used to do this show with me. But anyway, um, so I walked into Wingnuts one night. Will Miller's a friend of mine who owns Wingnuts. And I walked in there and there's this guy sitting there. I said, who is that bar fly over there? He's he's always over there and he's you know hanging out and doing his thing. I thought you know that guy's like a fall down drunk or something. He's got to be. So I'm gonna go say hi to that guy. So I go over there and talk to him. Find out he doesn't even drink. <laughs> he just seems like he's drunk all the time. <laughs> he's just a happy guy. What do you say, Brent? Well, yeah, you know when you're <laughs> slurring all your words and you're kind of clumsy, I guess that's a natural mistake that people might make. <laughs> well, the one thing I know about Brent and part of the reason why we hang out is because I like his energy. He's got a really good, solid, high energy. And, uh, and you know, he's, uh, he's a little bit older than me, but you never know it. I mean, you know, because whenever we go anywhere, if there's a group of 21-year-old girls hanging out, next thing you know, they're all his best friend. <laughs> <laughs> you like to, spread your, like to spread yourself around a little, That's you know. Right. That's right. So you know, I thought if you know if he can do that, I got to hang out with this guy and get his secrets. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, mercy. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Anyway, um, so Brent is also a really interesting guy too. He's he's um, he's got a master's degree. He's been a teacher. He's been. I mean, there's so many things that you've been a coach. You coached all kinds of things over at Hurricane High, right? Uh, yeah, I, I thought, uh, yeah, I coached actually at SUU for a year. I uh, coached over at uh, Cedar High School, mm-hmm. and I've also coached at Hurricane High School. Well, we're going to talk about you, but in, in introduction to you, so people might be interested in this, this program and the mm-hmm. studio that we're in right now was actually started by you, because at Hurricane mm-hmm. High, you had a communications mm-hmm. broadcast type program that you ran, correct? Right. Yeah, back in the day. That was how many years ago? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> well, now. Oh, here we go. Now we're, now we're getting into some history. Well, you know, it all started, uh, there, uh, there was uh, a graduate from SUU along with myself. His name was Steve Weber, and him and I started a television production company. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't anything like that down here in the southern end of the state. So it was your own private right. production so, company. So uh, I, I took a loan out, and, and we bought some equipment, started uh-huh. the company. We started doing you know real estate stuff birthday parties bar mitzvahs Mm -hmm. pretty much anything that we could do almost like a mobile dj video service yeah to to make a buck Mm -hmm. well then um 
we started getting calls from hard copy, from Channel 5, from Channel 4. If anything happened here at mm-hmm. the southern end of the state, they would call us. <clears throat> we would go down. And do the event. To, we would do the event. We'd videotape everything, maybe make a few comments. And then we would come over here to Dixie College, mm-hmm. and we would microwave that feed up to uh, the University of Utah, which would then uh, give it to Channel 5, Channel 4, or Channel 2. For their news programs. For their news like programs, that. yeah. yeah. So, okay. So you'd be on the, you'd, mm-hmm. you'd give content to Channel, to the to the uh, TV stations up there in Salt Lake City for their news. Correct. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It, it, and it was a pretty cool deal. And, the, and that, back in that, at that time, Ed Rogers was the one running all of the radio and technology mm-hmm. and uh, Marv Persinger was kind of the technician of the day. Uh-huh. So as we started doing that and then I, I, I got a, a job over at Hurricane High School teaching um, English and speech communications mm-hmm. and I talked them into letting me start up <laughs> a television production class on my prep hour. Uh-huh. So in doing that, um, Ed got together with uh, Marv Persinger and they approached me mm-hmm. to see if I'd be interested in teaching a couple of courses as an adjunct professor here at um, Dixie College. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and wrote up a curriculum and uh, we started uh, you started there. the program here at Dixie State I then, did. at yeah. Dixie State. So that was quite a few, how many years ago was that? That was back in the early 80s. Back in the early 80s. Yeah. So about when I was graduating <laughs> from high school. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> 82 yeah. is when I graduated from high school. <laughs> yeah. So right around then is when you started this program. Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then and then what, what, what we did is <clears throat> the school district came to me and wanted me to kind of expand the program through the high schools. Mm-hmm. And then we did a concurrent enrollment through the high schools. So, I mean, we, I was still teaching the college classes for the college and then teaching on a high school level concurrent enrollment. So cool. we, we had a, a lot and of this stuff is it. So on. you walked yeah. in the studio today and you saw the studio and you're like, hey, man, I started this. Yeah. <laughs> I just went, a long time ago. Wow. Somebody um, raised the bar exponentially. Uh, yeah, Sean Denovan it. runs it now and he's yeah. done a bang up job. And then you've got CEC down the hall, yeah. which is, you know, your local community television station. Right. And CEC was actually started uh, with Stan Everett, who mm-hmm. kind of. Took I remember over. Stan. Yeah. He took over for me, uh, from me, actually. And. Uh, and a lot of the kids that were coming through my high school program were actually his top students for quite yeah, a while. Yeah, sure. Well, okay, we're going to back up the train a little bit because uh, I started the video a little bit late. If you're just joining us you know, a couple minutes in, yeah, me and my technical skills. Anyway, so back in the day, you know, tell us a little bit about where you got your beginnings, like where you grew up, went to school, all that kind of stuff. And we'll get into your family because he's quite the family guy as well. So uh, where, did, where were you born? Where did you grow up, go to school? Well, I was born and raised in Salt Lake. Uh, we, my dad used to work for United Airlines, and so he was transferred when I was quite young back to San Francisco. And so we lived in Palo Alto for a couple of years and then moved back to Salt Lake. Hmm. And then I went to Granite High School 
Yeah. And uh, you play sports? Yeah, I actually I wrestled and played soccer. Um, I didn't know the, you were a soccer player. The year okay. I made the soccer team, uh, the school district decided to cancel the program. So, <laughs> so that was kind of a wasted <laughs> effort. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. so anyway, um, graduated from high school and. Uh, How many kinda, siblings did you have? I had two brothers and two sisters. Two brothers, so five of you. Yeah. And did your mom work? No, I mean, she would work occasionally, but uh, mostly she stayed home and ramrodded us. Did you? Oh, you crazy kids. Yeah, we took a lot of training. Yeah. (laughs) You guys grew up LDS? Yes. Okay. Were you active? Did you go to church every Sunday? Yeah. In fact, Mm -hmm. uh, right after uh, graduation from high school, I came down and went to what was then College of Southern Utah or CSU, went there for a year and then went on my mission. I was in the Philippine Islands for a couple of years then came back um, and attended the University of Utah uh, mm-hmm. for a year. And then I came back and finished up, but graduated at SUU. Oh, cool. Okay. Up in Cedar. Yeah. And you graduated in what with your undergrad? Um uh, actually, I graduated in uh, communications uh, with a minor in business administration. Cool. And then you went on to get a master's degree. Or- I did. Well, I came back. I came back uh, right after graduation. I left and went up to Alaska. I was in Alaska for several years. Then I came back and got my teaching certificate. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so up in Alaska, you also did something else there, weren't you? Doing, uh, yeah, weren't I, you a sheetrocker up there? Well, uh, yeah, my uncle owned a drywall company, so yeah. I w- worked uh, doing sheetrock for a while. Then my father-in-law was an electrical contractor, so I was an electrician for a while. Huh. And worked up uh, in the oil fields up in Prudhoe Bay for a while. I worked out on the oil rigs out in Cook Inlet for a while. What did you do on the oil rigs? Um, well, we were uh, kind of a subsidiary company. Uh, it was called uh, Oil Field Services. So, you know, we did some electrical, we did some welding, we did a lot of pipe fitting, we did hmm. pretty much whatever needed to be done. You're like a real jack-of-all-trades, you know? Yeah, when you start we, talking about stuff, I'm like, where did he get all these skills from? Because yeah. you've done it all. Yeah, like, and then over I the years. sold cars for quite a few years <laughs> up there. So that In Alaska, you sold cars? Yeah. So you were selling cars, you were probably doing other stuff on the side, right? Well, sometimes, yeah. I, yeah. I was a supervisor for a, an alarm company for a while. We did uh, fire suppression, halon systems, uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, we did uh, a lot of the uh, electric surveillance and, and all kinds of uh, home entry uh, uh-huh. devices, you know. So we had uh, Alaska General Alarm. Yeah, I was so in addition to working on oil rigs and being a sheetrocker, <laughs> you also did some other stuff. <laughs> yeah, I did. I <laughs> like did alarms. A lot, did a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Learned how to learn how to mush a dog team. Learned how to cross country. Is that right? Yeah, I was on about four different basketball leagues. You were on the volunteer fire department, were you? No, that's that's the one thing that escaped me. Yeah, (laughs) that's too bad. You put it on the calendar. Yeah, (laughs) that's too bad. Yeah, you've done a lot of things, and then uh, somewhere along the way, you got married. Yeah, right. You got married, and then you didn't waste any time. Right? No, we got busy. I figured you if got be busy married, right away. we'll have some results, you know. <laughs> you so. got, and you had nine results. Nine kids, yes. Yeah. I have eight girls and one boy. Eight girls and one boy. And I yeah. thought I had it rough with 
four girls and no boys. <laughs> yeah. It's like eight girls and one boy. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually at some mm-hmm. point with all those kids that you came to Utah, back to Utah, yeah. and you got a master's degree, right. as I understand. Yes. What was your master's in? My master's was in um, administration and education. Education, administration, basically, Correct. right? Right. Okay. So then you started to teach and coach at Hurricane High, did you not? Yes. Uh, I um, actually, um, I coached girls basketball at SUU while I was working on my master's degree. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> I also, as I was doing my student teaching, I coached girls basketball up in Cedar at Cedar High School. Hmm. And then when I came down to, uh, got hired with Washington County and went to work at, at Hurricane High School. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> I was coaching basketball, soccer, and golf. And I coached both boys and girls in basketball. Huh. Wow. So That's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, I spent quite a few years refing, and I think... A lot of more people recognized me from refing over the years than mm-hmm. they ever did from being a coach. So, well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you, you know you taught for twenty years. Did you teach for twenty? Yeah, about twenty-two. Twenty-two years yeah. at Hurricane High. Yeah, the whole I, time. I took a leave of absence halfway through and went back up to Alaska and worked as a technology coordinator for the Anchorage School District. Okay, how long was that? I did that for a year, and then while I was up there, I coached basketball and soccer. So you're the. It's interesting because when when we have this conversation, you know, if people are listening, they're thinking, okay, Brent Dean, he, you know, he came, got his master's, went and started teaching, doing a little coaching, but also because you had nine kids and you had this high energy level, you did like a million other things too. (laughs) Well, you're not going to get rich teaching. So (laughs) yeah. And even if you throw in a little coaching, that's, you know, mm-hmm. side gig. That, that's almost volunteer work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, whatever uh, came up, like if there was an event like um, working the gate at a game or uh, working the gate at a dance mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I started up a restaurant uh, called the Shortstop Cafe in, in, in Hurricane, in Hurricane to, to make a little money on the mm-hmm. side. So. You know, basically anything that came along where I could make a buck, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. What are some other things you did? Because I know there was other things you did along the way as well. Well, I did a lot of video work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did uh, some We talked training. about that a little bit. Yeah. So I, and, and so I did uh, quite a bit of videography on the side. Um, I was a photographer for a while. In fact, I ran the, uh, the photography lab at SUU for a year. So, you know, that was kind of kind of fun. Back then, we it, it was a little different then because uh, the black and white was okay. That was pretty easy. But to do color, mm-hmm. we had to do that totally in the dark. Because you shot on film. Yeah, we shot on film back then. So what we would do is we would have all of our developers lined up in a warm bath because they had to be warmed up to like a certain temperature. I think it was 78 or 79 degrees. Mm-hmm. So we had them in a warm bath. Well, then we had to kind of memorize the order in which you put the developers. Because if you mixed up the hardeners and the developers, you oh. got some strange results, which <laughs> happened a few times. Is that right? Yeah. So you have to be so, extremely careful, especially if you had some real delicate photos you wanted to not mess up, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, so so uh, 
it, you, you know, you've done so many things. Usually when I talk to you, I'm surprised because you'd be like, oh, yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> I've done this before. Yeah. And, the, and what you've been doing lately is up in Panguitch where you've got some family up there in right. Panguitch, yeah. Utah. Um, you, you built some cabins. You're going to build a total of 10. You've got five built so far. And uh, so you've got that on some acreage up there. You, your family owns some land up there. Yeah, we have 65 acres up there in Pan- right on the edge of town. And so we're like 20 miles to Bryce Canyon or in the other direction, 20 miles up to Panguitch Lake, which then you can go over to Bryan Head or Cedar Breaks. And so it's a really nice area. And, and the, uh, the plan was to put in 10 cabins mm-hmm. uh, and six RV spots and then a nice, big, large um, gazebo where people mm-hmm. could have... Little community you know, area. Yeah, because, I mean, let's face it. One thing about Utah is the number one priority is family. Mm-hmm. So people to have, have like, families. yeah, family reunions, weddings, those kinds of things. We have, like, the big event uh, building where everybody can gather. And then people could break off, go into their own cabins. And the original plan was, you know, we're a big, large family. And so we like to get together from time to time. And I wanted a place where we could get together and it wasn't, you know, we could be big and loud and obnoxious and not bother anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, we like to shoot guns, drive four wheelers, ride the horses, (laughs) all all at the same time if possible. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, here's a, here's a place where we can do that. Mm -hmm. And then I got, you know, I got a cabin for each one of the kids and one for myself. And then when we're not using them, yeah, we'll go ahead and rent them out. So yeah, you, so you're going to build 10 cabins. This is an interesting uh, thought process you went through. But uh, so you had this land up there. You're like, I'm going to do something with this land. You said, I got an idea. I've got nine kids. I'll build nine cabins plus one for me. Yeah. Is that basically what your your thought process was? That's exactly it. Yeah. And then in, in addition to that, you're going to Airbnb them up there. So, I mean, if you're interested in a cabin up mm-hmm. there in Panguitch. Right. Brent's got five ready to go right now. And it's yeah, only they're like, being rented out right now as we speak. So yeah. those five are ready, and we'll start the other five in March and hopefully have those done by the end of spring so that they'll be ready to go for summer. But this, the six RV spots and five cabins, they're ready to go. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, you just started doing that. So that that's kind of – it's interesting to me, as busy as you've been, and, you know, you've been single for a few years – and despite that, you're still a very dedicated family man. I've met several of your kids, great-looking kids. We had some conversations about that, about when you were teaching in high school and all yeah. the boys wanted to date your daughters. Yeah, I I met just about every boy in town. <laughs> so uh, Sunday dinners were pretty interesting. We'd always With have, a new boy every we'd time. We'd always have a few people there that I didn't recognize. So, yeah, it was, it was, that is really interesting because I, I know you had some good-looking mm-hmm. girls for daughters, yeah. right? And so all the boys were interested, right. and then they would approach you gingerly and say, uh, Mr. Dean, yeah. I, I would like to date your daughter. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had a conversation more than once where uh, some of these young guys had come up to me and say, Mr. Dean, we, our number one goal is to date one of your daughters. Our we really don't care goal. which one. <laughs> So what what is the oldest to youngest on your daughters? What is the, how what is the age range? Ooh, good question, huh? Oh, here we go. Now wow, I'm now, now I'm now yeah, and now yeah. you can't. So my um, my oldest daughter, mm-hmm. I'm hoping I get this right, uh-huh. is 46. 46 is your yeah. oldest. Yeah. Okay. And then my youngest is 30. Okay. 46 to 30. So when you were teaching in school, you had them all come through 
right? I mean, all well, of them came through that school. All eight yeah, Well, yeah, we lived in Hurricane mm-hmm. at the time, so most of those came through. Then uh, we ended up moving into Santa Clara. We sold our place in in uh, in in Hurricane, and mm-hmm. we moved to Santa Clara because as my kids started getting older, we were having you know three, four, five six trips a day into St. George oh, for, you know, all whatever the reason. was there, yeah. And so, you know, talking it over with everybody, I thought, you know, it just makes more sense for me to drive once a day than <laughs> everybody else to take a trip in. So we moved over into Santa Clara, and then my youngest three ended up graduating from Snow Canyon High School. Yeah. Okay. So that, that must mm-hmm. have been an interesting situation for you to be in, to be a teacher at the school that all your kids came through. Yeah. Basically all of them, right? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot more than they did. <laughs> <laughs> really? Why didn't they enjoy it? <laughs> well, they, because they didn't yeah. like having a dad at their yeah. school. Yeah. Most kids don't have a, a built-in sensor right there, right? Is there? <laughs> Watching their every yeah. move? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you have the teachers reporting to you uh almost, uh, you know, in real time, uh-huh. uh, that didn't go over real well. So, <laughs> anyway. so yeah, that must have been uh, a little bit awkward for them sometimes if they were interested in a boy at the school. Yeah. And, well, and, and what's really interesting is, you know, at one point, one of my daughters told me, Dad, um, you cannot tell us who our friends can be. And you're I like, said, watch me. And so I <laughs> no, my answer was, I'm not here to tell you who they can be. I'm just here to tell you who they can't be. <laughs> knowing and they love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. knowing everybody as intimately as I did, yes. you know, there at the school, uh, I kind of had my finger on the pulse of mm-hmm. who they should and shouldn't be associating with. And yeah. uh, I was pretty... Um, Pretty adamant, Pretty adamant about, about it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So, so uh, knowing mm. you as I know you, I would guess that the students mm. at the school probably liked you a lot. Am I right about that? Uh, it, yeah, I think for the most part in in high school. Of course, when I uh, about my last four about last four or five years, mm-hmm. um, I got transferred over to the middle school, uh-huh. and um, that's a whole different mindset over yeah. there. So instead of a uh, of a of a teacher and 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 somebody who could you know teach and train, I turned more into a babysitter. And yeah, so that was a little say. tougher. And I'm not sure that um, those particular students would have seen me as their favorite teacher. Mm-hmm. You were yeah. a little tougher on them. Yeah, I was more of a disciplinarian than a lot of. But you the have teachers. to be, and and at that, yeah, because. Yeah, uh, Usually, you know, the trouble follows them from grade school up. And and, it, and the kind of the rule of thumb, at least that I found, was usually by the ninth grade, they've either straightened up or we've filtered them out. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Boy, I remember those days. <laughs> I, was, I, I wouldn't want to be my teacher when I was 13, 14 years old. That was not yeah. good. Anyway. Okay. So you enjoyed being a teacher, though. Did you like it? Oh, yeah. Well... I taught some college courses and I and I've taught some high school classes and I, I loved it. I loved my job. I loved everything about it. Um, the uh, the administration and in, in the state and and the way that public education is designed 
we uh, lost a lot of the freedoms that we enjoyed and things that we could do in education and society in general became somewhat um, contaminated and you know a lot of weird things started going on and so you know rules have to be put in place to mm-hmm. to subdue those things and so it took a lot of the freedoms away that we enjoyed and being able to have some liberties with where we could go in in education field and field and trips like that. that we yeah. could take that were really you know i think beneficial and and so put a stop it, to a lot of it yeah i i mean they really they handcuffed us basically mm-hmm. and said go out there and get your job done and it became increasingly more difficult. All right, we're talking to Brent Dean. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this to talk about Valentine's stuff, maybe. <laughs> oh, goody. We'll see. You're listening to My Life, a show about your life. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome you back to My Life, a radio show about your life. And now your host from the Senior Saver, Kevin Fry. Okay, we are back with Brent Dean. We're uh, we just review real quick. Brent's kind of some that I met through some karaoke stuff that I go to, and he likes to get up and sing now and then. I like to get up and sing now and then, and. A friend of ours who's quite a bit younger said, karaoke's for older people. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, maybe it is. Okay. Well, maybe the older people don't hear so good, so you don't sound so bad. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we hang out and do stuff sometimes. But, yeah, he's got some cabins up in Panguitch that he's building. He's going to have 10 pretty soon. He's got nine kids. And, uh, you know, and he's taught, he actually started the program here at uh, Utah Tech, which was Dixie State back in the day. And so this radio TV program, this whole thing was really kind of uh, came from him from the very beginning. <clears throat> so it's kind of nice to have the profit here uh, for this department. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Using that term pretty loose. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you know, didn't say it was a true church or anything. I just... <laughs> Good. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we're both Brent and I are single guys. Brent was married for 30 years. I was married for 20 years. And so, uh, you know, we hang out and we do stuff sometimes, but uh, we, we certainly talk about the dating scene here and how, di- how different it's become. It's Valentine's Day today, so I thought it might be good to kind of touch on some of this stuff because uh, there are, you know, there's, there's 7,000 something like that singles in southern Utah. It's hard to be desperate and dateless on a on a on a on a uh, holiday like today, isn't it? Desperate and dateless. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Okay, is your word is desperate? I'm like, I just I just woke up this morning and I thought, you know, I could be spending three or four hundred dollars today on someone that I'm dating to try and you know keep her in the game. <laughs> True. So I saved like three or four hundred dollars today. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, uh, but that's that's the upside for Always sure. Always look on the bright side <laughs> of life. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I have gotten a different attitude about dating because I used to think, oh, if I don't have somebody all the time, I feel horrible about myself. And then I think, then sometimes I think, I don't know, I feel pretty good. 
<laughs> I don't have to take care of anybody. I don't have to worry about what they think about me. Or Well, I... Kevin, I think, as you know, <laughs> being alone and feeling lonely are two totally separate, yeah, different absolutely. things. absolutely. Yeah. You're right. I mean, you can be in a room with 100 people and still feel lonely. You can so. be married and feel lonely. Yeah. No, I'm dead serious. Yeah. In my marriage, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to speak ill of my ex-wife or anything, but we didn't we didn't have a, the type of relationship that I could have with a total stranger. You know, I mean, I can strike up a conversation with a total stranger and I can feel a closeness to them to a certain degree because we're connecting. But yeah. that in my marriage when I was married, that wasn't the case. I you know, I didn't I didn't have a friend to talk to because we just didn't connect and she would probably say, because I was too stupid and she was too smart. That's you know probably I mean? a big part of why you're yeah. single today. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But, uh, yeah, so I know what you're saying. I get what you're saying completely. You can be in a room full of people and lots of activities happening and feel completely alone. Yeah. Right? Right. Or you can be alone and not feel alone at all. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, going through a divorce, uh, as you all know, mm-hmm. uh, Sometimes you're you're done and and you feel oh so forlorn. Other times it's like a weight of a building has just been lifted off your shoulders and you're going. Yeah, you need to take a breath. And but yet, you know, as you go through, you um, cherish those moments that you have by yourself where you can sit and contemplate and and uh, you know just think about life and all the know all that goes with it so it's it is interesting too you know because you know you had nine kids i had four kids right but when you're raising kids Mm -hmm. in a family that's Mm -hmm. all there is in life i mean there's not i mean you're running them here Mm -hmm. you're running them there your whole Mm -hmm. life is about them like i can remember uh not buying myself any clothes oh for like five years like, you know, you don't go to the store. Yeah, try that on a teacher's salary. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you you make everything work. Like, you might wear the same shoes for years and years if they, you know, you buy shoes that last. You buy, you have the same winter jacket for, you know, a dozen years or more or, you know, however long you can oh, make yeah. it last. All that stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I had a ton of friends that would say, Brent, um, we only have this many kids or we don't have any. How are you doing it? Your mm-hmm. wife is staying home taking care of your family. And I said, yeah, well, I didn't have kids for somebody else to raise. So, yeah. you know, we, we, we're, we're fully vested in those children. So we want to make sure that they get Are taken well, care feel, of. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I did all that I could and, and I worked my butt off, you know, as doing everything, as, you yeah, possibly everything could. I could think of just to keep things afloat. So I was working all the time. If I wasn't working, I was running one of the kids to one of their activities. Sometimes two and three, we were going in different directions. My wife was taking some of the kids here. I was taking other kids there. Mm -hmm. We were going hither and thither. And, you know, and and so... Nonstop action. Yeah. And, and, you know, you don't stop to take a breath until 20 years down the road. And Mm -hmm. you're going, whoo-wee, man. What the H. Yeah. 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 No, I know exactly Mm -hmm. what you mean because... uh, you know, I've been single quite a, quite a few years, and you've been single, I think, a little bit longer than me, but um, about the same time period, I think, we've been single. So it's been very, you know, having had the family experience with four kids, which was wonderful. I love my kids, and I know you love your kids, too. But, man, you know, it can really suck the life out of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now that, now that you're, 
you know, especially if your marriage isn't going that well, or if, or if you're having difficulties in your marriage, then it just makes it that much harder to get through those difficult days. You know. Oh yeah, it's yeah, and it, and so it gets to a point where you get, or at least mine, I was looking at it, and and you know, you, they took, they call it the empty nester syndrome, mm-hmm. empty nest syndrome, but. Yeah, and it's a real it's a real deal because you're so busy all the time. Then all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you stop to take a breath, and you look at this stranger that used to be your wife across mm-hmm. the room, and you're like, "Who are you? Yeah, you know, what what do we have now? We that haven't connected in years. Yeah, we've been yeah. so busy uh, with the business of life and getting through life and getting your kids raised." That you um, haven't taken the time to feed or nourish your relationship, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of dies on the vine, right? Yeah, somewhere along the way, it's it's died and it's not recognizable, and you're like, what happened? Isn't that strange, though, that you can spend thirty years with someone, and you know, father nine children, have nine children with them, and you know, she's the mother of your children, and you feel like at the end of the day, I don't really know this person. Well, you, Isn't that such a strange phenomenon? And I've I've talked to lots of men about this, especially in the LDS community where you know big families are really common. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're one of the only ones I know that has nine kids, but I've known lots of people who've had you know seven kids, five kids, six kids. You know what I mean? Lots. Well, over the years, you know, people people change. They develop uh, new uh, interests and. You know, I mean, 30 years, that that's a long time. And over that, you know, I helped her get through her education to where she could earn her degree. Mm-hmm. And, and I got my master's. And, you know, you develop in different ways. And so if you're not taking, you know, a regular occasion to stay in tune with those with changes. Yeah, like, hey, well, I'm, I'm headed this direction. You're headed that direction. Yeah. And, well... You know, I, I read somewhere along the line that parents spend less than three minutes a day of individual time with their children. Mm-hmm. And when I read that study, I was blown away. I'm thinking there is absolutely no way that that's accurate. Mm-hmm. It, it can't be. Yeah. And so I, I took stock of my, my own situation. You'd and have I 27 start, minutes total with your kids if that was true, right? Correct. A day. A day. So yeah. I, I looked at that, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Not only is that statement accurate, but it's liberal. Yeah, it's because, like more than I get Because, sometimes. yeah. How many times a day do you get to talk with just one of your children? Mm-hmm. It's usually and two or three talk. or four at a group. Mm-hmm. Very seldom are you in that situation where you have just one of your children alone. Mm-hmm. And if it is, it's probably just one or two of them a right. day. Yeah. And so some days you don't get any personal time mm-hmm. like that. Well, it's the same way with your spouse. Yep. You know, you look at that and you're going, well. Hey, you might have, you know, yeah, right. You have three minutes a day maybe with her. So, of course, how do you stay in touch with you know, looking at those statistics. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're saying. I, 
If I go back to to my marriage when we were raising kids, we would go on a date once a week, and usually it was about two hours. We'd go mm-hmm. to dinner, and then during the the dinner, usually we'd get a, to one or two phone calls, right, from the kids, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, you can't say don't take the phone call because the house could be on fire, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's Had like that happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you got to take the call, and yeah. then you know, and then at a certain point, she's like, "Oh, I got we got to get home and get to the kids." Oh yeah, because the, the, your wife is always going to be worried. Oh, we can't be gone too long. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, it is it is difficult. And what makes it even more difficult is if you're trying to exist on a small budget, which I know in your case was the, the case. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think I was on necessarily that small of a budget, but I certainly wanted, wasn't on as big as a budget as my wife wanted me to be. <laughs> yeah, you most know? of us have an agreement, I'll make it, you spend it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, like, it doesn't matter how much you make, it's never enough if you've oh, yeah. got a family. Yeah, I was, I was going to write a book, Broke on Any Budget. But, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's so much truth to that, because I think when you get married sometimes, <laughs> the women have a certain expectation of uh-huh. what their life's going to be like. And usually it's, you know, a Disney-type character situation yeah. where it's like, oh, I'm marrying a prince, and the prince lives in a castle, and, you know, we have servants, and we, you know, people do things for us, and we go on vacation all the time, and we do this, and we do that, and the money never runs out. We never think about money. We never budget. We do any right? Well, Kevin, I think what it is is we're all 30 days from bankruptcy on just on different levels. And that's true. Because no matter how much you make, you've upped your grade of living mm-hmm. to match your income. Always. So we're always, no matter who we are, that's where we're at, mm-hmm. 30 days away from bankruptcy. And we right. hope that we run out a month before we run out of money. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a conundrum. It's an, an intense way to live, isn't it? Oh. But whether you're, what you know, and it's, it's interesting to me because if you're single and you have never been married and you have no kids, you do the exact same thing. Most of the time, most people, if they make a lot of money, let's say they've never been married because they want to dedicate themselves to their career and they're making a quarter of a million a year, a Mm -hmm. half a million dollars a year, usually they spend it. You got a sports car, a Mm -hmm. boat, a motorcycle, Mm -hmm. a cabin uh, up in some ski area. So, yeah, I mean, we just keep spending Mm -hmm. until there's nothing left to spend. That's right. You know, and, and society has you know, gotten us into that mode where you're not American if you're not in debt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's That's crazy. That's true. But, well, banks have done a good job of that. If, oh, you yeah. know, they have money to lend. And that, you know, you don't really think about this about banks, mm-hmm. but uh, their whole job is to lend money. Oh, I mean, they don't make any money until they lend money. Right. And so you, if you have $100,000 in the bank, they're going to lend that money out nine yeah. times. They want you to be in debt. Yeah. America is built on debt. Well, and and very seldom do, do does corporate America or anybody else do anything for the common good. They do it for their bottom line, mm-hmm. and it's just like the health industry. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and this is something I become extremely passionate about over the last few years. Is is your health? And I and there's a a, a program on Netflix called Ask Your Doctor, mm-hmm. and one of the big things that they that they've said on there is that um, there's a third of the world's population that is obese, overweight. Mm -hmm. There's only 17% of America's or the world's 
population, and that's young people as well, that are actually what they would call in shape. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that are fit. Yeah, they blame it on society because they said we've created uh, an atmosphere of gluttony. W- w- yes, uh, of glutton, mm-hmm. gluttonous, but also we're in areas where there are no places for our kids to grow up doing things outside and play. Correct. Uh-huh. So to develop. The other thing is it's all it's all around fast food. There is no That's quality true. food on the market simply because you have to travel too far or spend too much money to get fresh fruit and vegetables. So they can everything. They put preservatives in it. You know, what you're, we're eating preservative pie every day. And, you, and if you have a big family, you can't really afford to buy organic food. So a lot of times what you're buying is processed foods. Right. And that's why everybody's overweight. And processed food, um, like, well, the processed meats that you have have more carcinogenics in it than a pack of cigarettes. Well, mm-hmm. think about that. You're like, yeah. what? Killing yourself. Yeah. yeah. So all of the processed foods that you have have certain amounts of poison. Think of your body as a vessel, like a glass. And all the toxins that we put in it is like filling it, filling your glass with water. Well, that, that vessel, your body is designed to hold a certain amount of those toxins mm-hmm. and deal with it okay. But once you start over-flooding it, yeah. where does that go? Yeah. Well, it goes into things like le- leaky gut syndrome, leaky brain syndrome, and we start developing problems. And, uh, you know, we're unhealthy, our children are unhealthy, and we're mm-hmm. like, wow, what's going on? Why can't we get better? Well, because you got to start eating better. You got to start exercising. You know, trade your TV remote for a gym pass and then start eating healthy. Good point. Good point. All right. Well, we got uh, we got about eight minutes left, so I want to I want to touch on this being the older single guy. Oh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was. I was well, they don't get much older and singler than me. <laughs> I was forty four, forty five ish when I went through my divorce and. All of a sudden, you know, going from being a full-time father, you know, taking care of family, and all of a sudden, I'm in an apartment by myself, or I'm in a a place by myself. You know what I mean? It's the weirdest, strangest feeling I've ever had. It must have been very unusual for you. Yeah, well, I spent most of my adult life taking care of everybody else. I was last on the list for Mm -hmm. everything. And like you, I gave up. A lot. I sacrificed a lot of the things. Like when I was in Alaska, I sacrificed hunting trips, fishing trips, all hanging out with a lot of the different guys. Uh, and same thing when I came here. I was so busy working all the time that I really didn't. Your have, whole life is about yeah, work. That, that, yeah, that was my social life was my work and then come home, spend a few minutes with my family before they all went to bed. So, yeah, and I was 55 when I got my divorce. Mm-hmm. And, uh, all of a sudden, you know, I was guilt-ridden with, well, I, there's something I should be doing. There's something yeah. that I got to do. What, what, what is it yeah. that, I'm, that I'm not doing? It? Right. And it took me a good year to get over that feeling. That pressure of, feeling. Yeah. It's like, how come I'm not, you know, busy all the time doing something for somebody? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. And then I realized, well, you know, hey, maybe I can start doing a few things for myself. <laughs> What an odd thought that (laughs) I felt guilty about that for years, you know, just like going to the store and buying myself a pair of shoes. I'd be like, um, should I I do that? (laughs) Or I remember I decided I was going to just go to the beach. I was going to go to Oceanside. I was going to hang out at the beach. I thought, what the heck am I doing? It's like, you know, I I remember being there feeling guilty. 
Like really, my kids should be here with me. My, you know what I mean. That's how you think, right? Like I shouldn't be here, you know, doing my own thing. Exactly. Well, and the other thing too is socially, pretty much all your friends are married. Yep. Okay. So now you're thinking, well, it's awkward to be the third wheel hanging out with these married couples. Right. So I've got to start thinking new friends. Yeah, I got to go out and where do I find new single friends? That's the other you want to hang out. Yeah. That exactly. Yeah. So. You know, is there anybody out there with my ethics or moral compass? Mm -hmm. Uh, There might be, but I'm not. I'm not too easy to find. Well, I remember when I when I saw you because I don't drink and you don't drink, and that you know just that one element right there is usually who I end up hanging out with because alcohol adds a whole new element to your social life. There's just no question about it. So I try to find people. I even try to date women who don't drink, and there's tons of LDS women who drink. Just FYI. So it's like, it's hard to, you know, if you're going to try to date even in the LDS church and try to find someone who doesn't drink, it's mm-hmm. hard to find. Well, and I think because uh, of our, you know, the mores of today that people feel that if they drink, they're less inhibited. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they can feel more free to uh, communicate openly yeah. and not you know, feel all hung up. Right, right. It takes away their inhibitions. A yeah, bit. yeah. And see, and I've never had that problem. Yeah, I don't so. think you have. <laughs> so, That's an understatement. Yeah. And and the other thing is, is I hate giving up control. And and one of the only times that I, I felt like I had no control was when I had what, my wisdom teeth out in my early 20s. And they and they put me under in, uh, in laughing gas or whatever. Mm-hmm. And know where uh, you were for a while. Yeah, and trying to come to and trying to get things done, and I had absolutely no control mm-hmm. over my body. I hated that, and I thought, man, I am never, never want to be in that I'm situation. I'm with you. Again. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I did all that stuff. I got, you know, wasted at parties and stuff like that when I was, you know, in high school and, you know, drank and smoked pot and all that kind of stuff. But then I turned 17, and I was like, I saw how it was affecting my friends, and I said, I don't want this anymore. I want to be in complete control of myself. I want to make my own decisions, do my own things. And it's, you know, it's hard to find those kinds of people, you know, who have made those types of commitments in their life, isn't it? Well, yeah. I, because I mean, we all have our own hangups. We have yes. our biases. We see three, we see things through our own lenses. Sometimes it's harder to look at things through other people's lenses and see how they, uh, you know, and, and we, we create all these ideas and, and, you know, we, we watch the Super Bowl together. Mm-hmm. And there was, we were commenting on, there's no ads this year that, that really pop out. No, yeah. but there was one that came up that touched me. Mm-hmm. One. And it was a simple sentence written on the screen. And I don't know if you saw it or not. I don't not, know if I did or not. But it said, God loves the people you hate. Yeah. And that. I did see that. It That's touched true. me in a way that I thought, wow, Especially how in profound. The Super Bowl. I, well, I think I said to you, I said, who paid for that? Yeah. I think, like, I'm always thinking about the money. So <laughs> <laughs> who paid for that? You I know, know what I mean? But yeah. I thought, wow, what an incredible thing. And, and I mean, I know that we've all um, uh, created prejudices against other people. I have. And, and I, I look at that and I think, you know, I don't have to hang out with the person. I don't have to be their best friend. In fact, I don't even have to like them. But I can learn 
to appreciate them from a distance, mm -hmm. keep away from them so they can't hurt me, but not carry the grudge mm -hmm. that the sucks in your heart. up the positivity of your own being. Yes. You know? Yeah, that's a really, really good... You know, I've, I've had, you know, some in my life, I've had some people that I just really don't want anything Around. to yeah. do with. Correct. You know what I mean? Because they steal your energy. They steal your thunder. Mm -hmm. they, they steal your aura. Or they yeah. hurt you in ways that you can't let go of. It's hard. Yeah. yeah it's hard. I, I would say, like, if Hitler killed your family, you wouldn't want to have lunch with them. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it's kind of like that. But but those are that's a really good really good words of wisdom i think because there's it, we run into those types of situations all the time and how do you manage it right yeah well you know and the other thing is is we we put out this aura i believe and one of the greatest pieces of advice that i took from uh one of these uh, self-motivation books was surround yourself with successful people or people that you want to emulate, you want to become like. Mm -hmm. And so I've always looked at life kind of from a positive aspect yes. on how can I benefit from this? Uh, what's good about it? And I've, and I think it's, it's done well for me. I've been able to meet a lot of people. I've had a lot of people come up to me and get to know me simply because I guess I put out an aura that, energy, you know, yeah. I'm not going to be your enemy. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to try to cause any conflict, you mm -hmm. know, just come around and be part of what's going on. Yeah. No, I have, I've noticed that about you and that's, and I've had those mm -hmm. kinds of commitments in my life too, is trying to surround myself with people that, you know, I want to emulate certain aspects of who they are, you know, and we already brought up a few of them, but I totally agree with you on that. Our guest today has been Brent Dean. We've just got uh, a few seconds left, but uh, this has been a lot of fun for me, Brent. Have you had fun? <laughs> Yes, uh, <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> a, little, a little surprising. Didn't yeah. think you'd actually want to do this, did you? <laughs> well, I, I was surprised when I was asked, but I figured if you were going to ask me, you could have ordered a little better weather for me to travel. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thanks, Brent. All right. You've been listening to My Life, a radio show about your life with your host, Kevin Fry. If you'd like to share the story of your life, Contact Kevin at kfry at myseniorsaver.com. Until next time, this has been My Life.